Hello and welcome to Comic Book Herald's Creanitators. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Today I'm excited to be joined by Carl Kershaw, talented storyteller and artist. Works like the abominable Charles Christopher, Isola, Gotham Academy, and now Death Transit Tanager. Carl, thanks so much for joining. How are you doing today? I'm okay, Dave. How are you? I am doing pretty well, pretty well, thank you. Um, I, I wanted to talk especially about the abominable Charles Christopher today. I know it's a series that you brought back um, this year as well as for Kickstarters, but I do want to dig into kind of, you know, you got a lot of stuff going on, so we'll talk about that as we go. But the abominable Charles Christopher, it's an Eisner winning and this year Ringo nominated webcomic, ostensibly about a simple toddler-like monster and his dealings with all manner of forest creatures, lions, and epic warriors. The comic, which has been running since 2007, I believe, is equal parts funny and heartfelt and always well worth a read. Uh, I have it ranked like really high on my best comics of all time list, Carl. I have oh, it well, inside the top. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. It's inside the top like 125, which might not sound super high, but like that is that's great company. The best <laughs> on web this. comics of all time or best comics of all just, time? Just straight up best comics of all time. Yeah, oh, like man. if people if people Google, oh. if, here in the States at least, if people Google best comics of all time, I'm typically one of the top two. So the the ACC is getting getting a solid plug over on Comic Book Herald, um, just so you are aware. Well, <laughs> Hopefully it's yeah, getting it's, you some readers uh, there. It's near and dear to my heart, so it's, uh, it's nice to hear. Awesome. Yeah, no, so this year you kickstarted the Volume 3, uh, the the actual trade paperback and now hardcover it looks like and you return to posting new adventures for season four um, I'm wondering how do you determine when to dive back into the world of Charles Christopher like what kind of sparks that urge because it's the thing that you know has been running now for for well over a decade yeah usually well <laughs> I'd say um, terror really like I, I, I kind <laughs> of um, I kind of uh, it, it's always been sort of a hobby. Like I never, I've never treated um, the abominable Charles Christopher as uh, as a <clears throat> as, as work in any way. So um, I, I did it religiously for I think I, don't know, I think like seven years or something. It, it ran weekly, it ran one strip a week, and yeah. then I kind of um, I had kids and I let it go for a little while. I put it on kind of a lengthy hiatus while I worked on other things. Um, but I find now, and this wasn't planned, but when I, when I do return to it, it's started, like, it's not so much out of, out of guilt, um, but it's, uh, it usually is sparked by some sort of, um, fear, uh, or anxiety I'm having, you know, like I'll, I'll, uh, I'll have something to say. I'll need to express myself in some way. And, and those expressions usually don't come out in my regular work. I mean, like every, I think every author or artist channels parts of themselves through all of their work but Charles Christopher specifically is like a, is like a like a funnel through which I, I kind of channel every you know every bit of fear or concern it's just much more personal I guess is a way of saying it so if I'm yeah. if I'm feeling bad about something or if there's a pandemic or whatever like you know like I um, my feelings about those things come out through that strip Sure, sure. That makes sense. When you return to that world, are you more, is it more about getting out those anxieties and sort of just what you're facing on a day to day? Or do you also try to balance like structuring narrative through lines? Because there is, you know, it's, it's an interesting work for those who aren't familiar, and I highly recommend people check it out, which you can do. Um, for free, which we'll talk about, you know, on carlcursal.com. Like, you can go and read the whole thing right now as a webcomic. Um, there is some narrative through line, but it's also 
you know, we take all these breaks just for these small scenes and these quiet moments of characters interacting and, yeah, reflecting a lot of very human and relatable uh, concerns that I think many of us have. Um, how do you how do you kind of balance those different things between getting out, hey, this is top of mind and this is my own anxieties versus sort of like, hey, we should we should touch base with uh, with Vivil and Moonbearer or Charles Christopher or something like that? Yeah, well, it's primarily um, it's just whatever is concerning me that day. Um, but there is like initially when I began the, the comic, it was it was sort of intended to be just very um, just very short slice of life moments. It was actually kind of inspired by like old Walter Lance, Woody Woodpecker uh, mm. cartoons. And um, I had never intended to do anything narratively or at least not long term narrative um, at all. Uh, so it was kind of st- structured more like a, you know, like a well, weekly newspaper strip. Yeah. Uh, but then narrative threads began to appear and it, things actually quite quickly became more uh, epic and started following more of a hero's journey, I guess. Um, quite literally in that, like it, it incorporates the Gilgamesh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the first hero's journey. But, um, but when that happened, I had to take into account, um, you know, where, like where all these studs were, were leading and how to tie them up. So there is a, yeah, there's a, as, as you say, there's a, um, there's an ongoing narrative, but it's, I don't want to call it loose, but it's a, it's a lower priority for me. Like, I mm. think it, um, I, I try to get back to all those things and I, I do have every intention of wrapping them up tidily, but, um, but really my, um, my focus is, is just, um, doing something satisfying and, and topical, at least for myself in the, in the short term. Um, it's not super hard to, like, I, I have a, a pretty big cast of characters, but not so big that I've, I've totally lost control of it. And most of those, only one of those stories is really kind of like a long, you know, a long narrative. Everything else is just um, really just resolving, uh, like, small uh, conflicts between characters, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It, it's funny. I think, you know, our our brains or my brain is certainly wired to, through a, a steady diet of superhero comics, to want and crave sort of that big picture hero's journey and that narrative structure. But I think as I've progressed through reading this over the years, uh, it's definitely it's the slice of life stuff that I'm I'm most into at this point. Um, because those have the funniest moments and often the most compelling characters. Um, and then the 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 big arc and sort of the and where we've gotten now where there's really you know there's huge you know destruction and devastation and monsters and all this stuff um that stuff is very compelling in terms of like okay where's that where's this actually going uh but it's and it's like you know a really cool art showcase in terms of like you get to do a little splashier stuff um but it, it almost it almost it, it's weird it's like it actually feels less like the core of charles christopher to me at least as a reader as the series has gone i'm i'm a little more into like, hey, what's going on with that like that bird husband who's the worst and clearly has a drinking problem? <laughs> like, yeah. what is? Like, I, I know what's what you going mean. I mean, like, I think I, just because of the nature of our our interests, um, we do tend to, and and just the, the stories we consume and we're being given over mm-hmm. and over, like we do tend to to lean heavily into um, the the um, you know that structure, that hero's journey structure. Part of me kind of hates myself for falling into it you know like i mm. there there i do like um having that sandbox to play and i like i like being able to do those big moments especially because they're so seemingly um 
um, like out out of the outside the realm of what this comic is, at least the way it began. Like you don't, I don't think you go into that like you don't go into that comic expecting um, epic destruction <laughs> partway through, you know, volume mm-hmm. volume three. So I like that that's kind of a surprise, but I also I also think it's a bit of a a weird crutch. Like I, I would like to kind of break myself of the habit of of going to that place all the time. It almost feels instinctive, you know. Yeah. Um, but but also I think when I do it, it it's um I try to handle it the same way that let's say like a Ghibli film would handle it. Like I mean, there there are these big moments, but they're really um, they're kind of uh, they're they're more about um, they're more about nature and the way the way uh, you know the way we we react as a society um, in the face of these sorts of things, or it's just yes. as humans in the face of these these grand things that, that generally we have no control over. Um, they're almost, yeah, they're almost uh, elemental forces. So I, I think that's fun. I think that's, that's, that's a, a nice, a good way to meet her, the, um, you know, the, the, the very typical uh, treatment of, of those kinds of um, situations, which is, as you said, like a lot of wanton destruction of uh, property. Like that's, that's where I tune out generally, you know, like if I'm, whether I'm reading a comic or watching a film, as soon as there's just like a bunch of destruction on the screen, I, I've just, I've lost interest. It's no longer human scale, you know? Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely reflected in the work too. I mean, your storytelling is, is very comfortable with quiet spaces, uh, emotion through image and tone and, and certainly nature is, you know, is a huge part of it. Um, has this kind of always been how you've, uh, like told stories or is it something you kind of had to learn as you progressed as an artist? I think it's always been there. I think there's, there's, well, there's the element of nature. There's also an element of humor that Mm -hmm. I think, uh, like there's this, there's an an inherent silliness to a lot of what we read in comics or even what we watch in a lot of movies. And, um, and uh, I, I think I'm, I've been aware of that for a long time. And um, as much as I love cool moments and, and uh, like action set pieces and costumes and things like that, there's there's I think I was I've been trying to inject uh, just a sense of humor into it since uh, almost since I began working in comics. And and there's really at least there was at the time very little place for it. You know, I yeah. tried to do a little, especially I think it became most predominant in my work when I did um, Teen Titans Year One. That was sort of an outlet for me to really. It, it, it was evident before that. I mean, I remember doing a, a lot of goofy things prior to that, but uh, but at least the Teen Titans book sort of allowed for it, and that happened to be right around the time that I started started um, Charles, the Charles Christopher comic, and then I I was really only interested in um, the sort of silliness of it, and then it became more grounded. But but I think it was really a way for me to to. Um, to just play a little bit without feeling there, there's a real stuffiness, like there's like a kind of a, a religious um, oh, yeah. stuffiness to to um, like the the, can, the canon of, uh, of uh, mainstream superheroes, at least the, the, the popular ones. So it's nice yeah. to be able to play with that a bit more. Like I, I also Gotham Academy was a great way to to um, to play with that, you know, to have kind of have my cake and eat it too, like do all these cool Batman things and play with like um, the, like these very serious Batman villains, but in a, in a, in a more fun way. Yeah. It's interesting. You connect those dots. I, I wouldn't have put two and two together there, but that does make a ton of sense. And I mean, I think that's something that 
we've seen it kind of since you know Teen Titans Year One, especially too. Like the way that that franchise in particular with Teen Titans Go has taken off, just purely being like, yeah, there's a lot of comedy here that can be played with, and that that's there's a whole generation of fandom where it's like that is your exposure to the world of Robin and the Teen Titans is goofiness and, mm-hmm. and silliness and playfulness. And I think Gotham and, Academy And just being is... teenagers. I mean, that yeah, was kind yeah. of the thing for me is when Amy Wolfram and I were working on that book in particular, we just wanted to, our goal wasn't necessarily to make it funny, but it, it was just to do something that, um, that showcased the, just the awkwardness of being a teen because they're they were like 13 year old kids so it was just like a mm-hmm. real a really awkward um time and that can be mined for for not just humor but a lot of pathos like i i think it was a it was a real fun project for me because of that i don't think it was received super well like it, it like i think a lot of the things i do um it's it's received very very well by a small group of people but it's mm. not uh it's not what the the fans largely want, and it's not what the publishers typically want. Or at least it wasn't then. Maybe that's yeah. changed now. But yeah, like when you're hired to do Teen Titans Year One, I think I think DC Comics has a probably an idea of what that comic is supposed to be, and what we delivered is not that. Yeah, yeah, you're probably. I mean, I think that's there's a certain gravity to that fandom from the Wolfman Perez years, mm-hmm. where when when. The, the the diehards maybe are more fixated on that than necessarily the approach you would have taken, which I, I tend to prefer. I think there's a lot of readers now, especially the Gotham Academy set, I think sort of show that like they prefer that sort of attitude and that, that ethos. Um, I, I want to get to Gotham Academy in a minute, but before we do that, uh, you ran, so you ran this Kickstarter for, for Charles Christopher um, volume three this year. And I'm curious, uh, it was, Massively successful in terms of funding and, and getting the books out there, which these are really cool uh, paperbacks and hardcovers. I have the first couple. I definitely recommend people check them out where they're available. Um, how have you seen your audience expand uh, doing this this third volume? And I'm curious, too, like you seem very attuned to audience at like audience metrics, uh, you know, through your own website and, and the fact that you actually manage that yourself. Um, is there certain stuff that you regularly track and, and kind of how do you keep tabs on like what is succeeding and, and what isn't and, and all that fun stuff. Um, I don't track a lot of metrics. I, I mean, I have analytics installed and I will look at that stuff occasionally, but I don't make decisions based on it generally. Yeah. Like I, I don't do a lot of, I mean, outside of the Kickstarter, I, I don't really promote anything. Like I, you know, I, I, uh, I'll do a lot of work quietly and then I'll put it out there. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big believer in these sort of like free online model like the web comics model um mm-hmm. so i'm really um basically I, I think i think i've shifted a lot of my thinking about my work and, and about the way i want to um <clears throat> publish my work um in, in recent like really in the last couple of years um based on things like kickstarter and patreon um and i kind of like i I've, i'm inspired by all of those um those elements of the business and uh, i think um, I think there's sort of a perfect storm there. Like I just sort of, I've gone about it my own way, but, um, but, but in answer to your question, like, like it's hard to know exactly how, how the readership has expanded, but I knew that, um, well, I didn't know what to expect. First of all, like, um, Charles, the abominable Charles Christopher has not been running regularly for quite some time. So when I self-published the first couple of volumes, 
it was still a weekly strip and it you know it had I knew at the time what my audience was and what I could probably um, feasibly uh, afford in terms of publishing so those were mm -hmm. Those books were self-published, but they were self-published. They were pre-sold to the existing audience. And um, that audience was pretty static. I mean, like, it would grow incrementally, but but um, there wasn't a lot of reach. You know, it was just who, whomever, whoever was reading that comic and whoever was maybe seeing the posts I made on Twitter. Um, so when it came time to do this Kickstarter, uh, I saw it, well, first of all, as an opportunity to publish a new book but but the reality is that if I just wanted to publish a new soft cover I could have just done it you know yeah. like I, I thought I thought there was an opportunity here to play to experiment with the Kickstarter model and really to just see if I could get this in front of more people not for funding purposes really like my objective was was mostly um, can I expand this audience like like is Kickstarter um, a robust enough does it have enough reach to actually grow this audience? And it turns out, I, I think, yeah, first of all, there was a ton of goodwill um, on, on the part of um, the existing fans. Like what, what, was, what was most humbling and, and um, surprising for me was just how, how much the, the fans, how, you know, how much that comic has retained fans over 14 years, yeah. especially since it's been sort of fallow for, for uh, quite a while. Um, so those people came out in a huge way. I think most of my pretty much all of my promotion and advanced promotion marketing was just sending a bunch of emails to people who had bought the first couple of books saying, Hey, uh, I don't know if you're still around, but you know, 10 years ago, uh, the last book came out. And if you're interested, I'm going to make another one. And, um, they came out of the gate really, really strong and, um, funded that book very quickly through Kickstarter. And then after that, I think it was a lot of word of mouth and, um, and goodwill and, and um, an example of just how Kickstarter um, can uh, reach new people just through its its algorithms. So yeah, <clears throat> I was really pleasantly surprised by that. Just to see, because especially in in, in the social media world we live in, there's I'm often skeptical of just how much reach uh, we're achieving. You know, I think you have kind of a set audience. You've got a lot of bots, and you've got a lot of people who might may or might not be seeing your your content, but Kickstarter seems to really be delivering the goods in terms of actually um, reaching new people. So I'm, yeah, I've gotten a bunch of emails from people who 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 said who either just discovered the comic through Kickstarter, just browsing Kickstarter, or through recommendations from other Kickstarters they might have backed, um, who are just uh, interested in the comic, and they can, um, you know, I think it's it's interesting to me that 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 these people are 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 willing to take a chance on a book um, or just real willing to support the creation of, of uh, a project like this, um, despite the fact that they can read it all online for free right now. Yeah. Right now. So yeah, I, it's, it's, it was a, it's been an amazing experience and I will definitely be, be um, doing more through this platform just to um, just for all those same reasons. I think it's, I think it's just like a win-win, you know, it's like a win for the creator. It's a win for the people who are, who want to support work and who want to who want to get the stuff in their hands directly from the people making it? Like it's just a really nice um, direct experience. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's interesting you mentioned the the freemium model too with the with the web comics. I mean that is it's it's easy to think that like oh it's free you could just read it online I'll just do that but it is such a different experience to actually have 
this nice end product in your hands. It's also a different reading experience, frankly. Mm -hmm. You know, even it's small stuff that's like, yes, it's massively, massively unimportant in the grand scheme of things, but clicking and waiting is very different than just flipping through. Um, it, given that you've run this freemium model for years now with this and with your other works, um, what would you say to other creators interested in trying the same or just to sort of some of the the skeptics, I suppose, who would be like, oh, you can't, how, how could you give away anything for free? You know, why would you ever do that? I, well, I have those skeptics in my, in my own direct circles. I mean, like when I, when I did, um, when I did that recent, uh, Death Transit Tanager comic, um, I, <laughs> I got a lot of, uh, had to face the firing squad at my studio, uh, <laughs> the guys telling me that I was an idiot for, uh, putting this stuff online for free. But yeah. And I mean, maybe there's some truth to that, but I'm a firm believer. Um, I believe in that model. And I think I, I think that those audiences, the audiences for people who are going to read stuff for free and the audiences for people who are going to buy something or and even the audiences for people who are going to buy that same thing in a different sales channel, like through a bookstore uh, or through Comixology are different audiences. Um, and I don't think you're cannibalizing one or the other by... by um, releasing it that way. Um, we'll see. I mean, like I eventually I will do, um, I'm working on more of those Tanager comics now. And once I do some more, I'll, I'll, um, eventually kickstart that too. And see, to, cause sure. I would like a print version of it. And then I guess, you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, if it's, uh, we'll see who comes out for it. But I, I firmly believe that people will, um, pay for work that they like and, uh, and pay to support people who are we're making that work, especially if there's a lot of goodwill there. Yeah. No, and it seems like, you know, if anything, Kickstarter and Patreon over the past few years have proved that there are there are markets here. And that, one thing I'm even surprised by just on, you know, I have Patreons for Compa Carol stuff and the podcast that we do, and it's like fandom can be really generous <laughs> sometimes. Oh. And it's wonderful when you spend years working and sort of see that people are willing to be like, not only do I like your stuff, but I will pay to support you just because I like it. And I've had such a good relationship with it over the years. Um, it's incredibly rewarding. It, I, I think one thing I'm really fascinated by with your website and with the subscription model that you've set up, because you you basically took it in your own hands to say, all right, I see what Patreon's doing. Um, that's cool and all. I'm just going to build that. I'm just going to do that on a website that I own. I control the experience, set up your own subscription model, and, and basically made your own. It, it's funny to me when I see creators loving a Patreon or the big news this year in comics was the Substack exodus of sorts, right? Where you have all these creators, James Tiny and the fourth most kind of famously, like he's not going to do Batman over a series of time. He's going to go and he's going to do his own work on Substack. Yeah. And you have all these creators. And it's funny to me, one of the things that seems like they're most interested in is essentially what you've set up is like an owned and controlled website, basically, where they can post their own comics. And in Substack's case, an easy way to pay for it, right? Mm -hmm. An easy way to get paid to do that stuff. I guess the question here is, what did you think of those moves? What did you think of that model and sort of this rush? And the idea of this is like a big new thing in comics. Cause I'm not sure it's as new as people new, seem to think Are you it referring is. to Patreon or? Um, the the Substack sub move. Oh, I think the yeah. Substack thing is, um, <clears throat> it was surprising. I wasn't aware of Substack before those big announcements. And I think, I mean, I don't know enough about it, but to me, it, it seems that um, um, it seems like a great deal for people who are um, who are in on it early and being well paid for it. I mean, there's yeah. no good reason not to do it. I think those guys are 
<clears throat> excuse me, um, very lucky and um, and made the right move. But I don't see it being a um, a real game changer for the the rest of the industry. You know, it's uh, there's a massive advance. I guess it's not an advance, is it? I'm not sure. It's I guess they call it a grant. Um, yeah, those guys are getting a lot of money up front to produce work that they want to do, and then they they own all the rights to it. They own the mailing list. Um, it's great. I mean, it's great for them. Um, if you're not getting that giant sum of money up front, I don't see what the advantage is. I mean, you might as well just set it up and put it on your own website. Um, my only other thought about it really was that, or actually, my first thought about it was like, I don't want to receive comics in my email. You know, like, <laughs> yes. I, I'm, and if I do, I I certainly don't want to receive like like twelve or twenty comics in my email from different people. So yeah. my my first thought was really technological. It was it was okay. Um, where's this going? Are we going back to syndicated feeds? Because um, it's great to support people via what, you know whatever platform they choose, but um, but eventually, like you need to curate this content. You need to you know have this content delivered in a way that makes sense to you because yeah. um, nobody wants that much email in their inbox. And nobody wants to read a comic um, page by page through their inbox. Yep. You know, so it's great that they're, it looks like they're, you know, they're, I guess people are paying a subscription fee for you know, early access and, and whatever, which is great. And um, they're still going to be publishing traditionally and whatever, you know, by whatever means they choose. So I guess, you know, eventually you'll have a nice, easy to read book version of this, of whatever they're making. But um, I don't know. It does, it, it, you know, it doesn't seem to have much advantage over Patreon or, um, or a standard website, no. except no. for the money up front. The, gr and, the grant money up front, and I think. Very is few people difference. are getting that. So, I mean, it's nice to be able to fund your work, <laughs> which is, which is great. I don't have that luxury, you know, like the, like my model is closer to Patreons and um, when people subscribe to my site, I, I give them, you know, I'll, I will mail them sneak peeks of what I'm working on. I'll do blog posts. Mostly it's blog posts that are um, just exclusive uh, to subscribers where I do a lot of process stuff. I post a lot of videos. Um, I think all that stuff is, is additive and fun. Um, and these the people who subscribe are also reading it piecemeal, but they're reading it on my website in a way that they can navigate the comic, um, not through email. And also I think they're aware that eventually it's gonna be collected and they'll get that. Like they're gonna get that PDF for free also when all is yeah. said and done. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think bottom line for me is that I'm excited about the potential. Like it feels like the wild west to me now in publishing. I think there's a lot of cool stuff that's happening. And I think a lot of people are taking back um, their their rights to things or they're just yeah. owning like the, the more you own the rights to your stuff the better and that there while there are advantages to um to uh you know going with big publishers um they're also you know you also have to be very careful so i wouldn't rule out like if you need to get like i don't know what my advice would be to people if you need if you need 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 money up front to work on a project then by all means go and make some kind of deal with the publisher get in advance <clears throat> and make your thing and let them deal with professional distribution because that's one thing I'm not capable of. You know, like I'm, I can get stuff directly to people, but I can't really get stuff into bookstores myself effectively. Um, that's a whole other branch of the business that I'm happily, I'm happy to talk to 
to actual publishers about. But if you yeah. don't need the money, like if you're doing a comic in your spare time and you're doing it, like for example, like I'm like some of the comics I'm doing are like a page a week while I do my other paying work. If that's the case, then, you know, just put it online, just put it online for free and get, um, you know, let it build, let it grow and then worry about monetizing it later. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I, I love reading the post you had about basically setting up a subscription model because you were so pragmatic about <laughs> just like, it's really not that hard. <laughs> like yeah. all you have to do, it's not, you know, it's, like, it's like a free, like WordPress doesn't cost you. Like there's just a couple of uh, paid plugins, but um, they mm -hmm. basically do all the heavy lifting for you just to set up some stuff. And then like the, the, the real work in building that site is really just like, like styling it, you know, like sure. making it yeah. look the way you want, making it, like the, the basic functionality is dead simple, like making it like user friendly and, and like branding it is what takes a lot of the time. And then actually creating the content. Yeah. But yeah. I encourage everyone to take a stab at it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. Okay, cool. I, I saw it. This is a, a different tangent. I saw on Instagram. Uh, you posted your rereading the, uh, or perhaps now have reread conversations between Frank Miller and Will Eisner, uh, mm -hmm. this, this excellent interview collection. Mm -hmm. um, what's standing out to you from that reread? Like, what kind of inspiration do you take? Oh, from, from well, that I work? formulated thoughts about it because, like, I just finished it again. Um, the standout for me, like, my my thoughts about it are really that um, it's just like how much these guys uh, bicker. Uh, mm. in, in the best possible way. No, like, I think the takeaway from it for me is just how much Eisner comes at it from a publisher standpoint. Like, it's really, it really, like, I love, like, the stuff about the book I love is, like, I really love and get into is is really when they're talking about their, the different, like, process of their work, like, the, like the, the actual hard process stuff, like, how they're laying out pages and how they treat pages and how they deal with timing on the page and stuff like that. But, but really that book, I think, if I had to sum it up, is, is about like um, Eisner um, coming at this discussion from the lens of having been um, like a businessman and a publisher and Miller talking to him about <clears throat> what is kind of more like being an artist like and, and, and more to the point, like a pop culture artist. Um, in comics and that's kind of where they butt heads like Miller will present <clears throat> a lot of ideas about the industry as he sees it from kind of from the 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 creative side and Eisner will rebut saying yeah but you have to see that this is also a business and this is why people were paid crappy rates and this is what people could afford and if you don't like it then stay out of it you know or make a better deal like it's 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 um it's interesting to to read that conversation and that's kind of what like two-thirds of the book is about yeah yeah, no, it's it's a good one. I, I definitely recommend people check that out if they haven't read it before. I just, yeah, I saw you were rereading that and I thought that was, that's interesting. Do you often um, find yourself like for inspiration seeking out, you know, different, different like, you know, interviews basically with creators or, or sort of perspectives like that from people who've come before? Yeah, I find that stuff really inspiring. It's just, it's not even um, limited to comics. Like I, I love reading interviews with comics creators, but I also like um, reading a lot of filmmaker interviews. I just uh, mm. read... Um, like Robert Rodriguez wrote a couple of books about filmmaking, Rebel Without a Crew, which is about him making um, uh, El Mariachi, which is a, an amazing book, just a fantastic book, just about how, like, like basically just a diary of how he made this movie. And then he uh, 
he did a follow-up to that, a much shorter book called um, called Road Racers. Uh, well, he did a movie called Road Racers, but there's a book about the making of that. So yeah. I really find, I, I just find anything, any kind of book with, um, or interview or discussion um, regarding um, process is interesting to me. I just like seeing like how someone made something and finished something that was successful or even not yeah. successful you know like just just the process of making something is inspiring like the fact that people are because making anything requires such um such a lot of discipline and um and a specific you know like a very specific mindset toward like almost a, a, a doggedness or bullheadedness toward the the work and finishing things and it's something i think i i think i absorb a lot of this stuff because i struggle with that like i have a lot of I, I have a lot of ideas and I start a lot of things. I don't finish a lot of things. Hmm. And um, that's something that that bothers me about myself. And I think I read a lot of, uh, of this stuff because it, I'm hoping that it will somehow <clears throat> somehow change my my work habits, you know, <laughs> to see that other people can do something. Like I also, I also listen to a lot of um, um, like video game uh, developer commentary and interviews about that just because it's like I, I find that field interesting also sure yeah no all that visual storytelling I could see how it would how it would relate I mean yeah I do think too just that that process whatever you're doing of actually finishing the thing and getting it out in the world is it it's like regardless of the outcome like is such a it, it takes stubbornness to and it takes confidence and and also some bravery just to be like okay i'm gonna put it out there like a, you know it's I, maybe it's not perfect um yeah. it, you know this kind of relates to something i heard you talk about actually um i think it was in the interview with uh with david harper and off panel uh, you talked about revisiting isola's second volume and actually adding pages to connection like kind of where you thought the story was driving um that you and, and maybe brandon fletcher didn't realize it was going as you were working on it and i was i was interested in this in this idea of like retrofitting or sort of like revising the story after the fact for the trade collection. Um, is this something that happens with, with other works of yours where you revisit them and sort of see holes and want to plug things in? Um, not really, because I don't, I don't think of it as, um, I, in that specific case, I don't think of it as, as retrofitting. I think of it as just a final editing pass. Mm. Like I, I, I think of it, we didn't have an editor and I think like, the issues come out so rapidly. Um, well, I mean, <laughs> usually they come out so rapidly, but they, they come out on an, on a schedule um, in which uh, it's kind of um, it's kind of difficult to to be um, completely critical about it. Like like our focus is just you know it's it's such a whirlwind process. Like we we have like a we have a story and then we we get a script down to the point where we think it's pretty good and I'll draw it and then it's just like a like the the train has left the station, you know, and you're just like, okay, well, now it's got to get onto the shelves, so we get it out there. And the trade paperback is really um, the time where we can actually look at it with a critical eye and say, like, okay, now we have to edit this. Like, is this any good? You know, like, what, is there are there typos? Or do we need to fix colors? Mm. Um, because this is now the permanent record. Like, the, I, I see the issues as just being kind of like, <laughs> like, like. Uh, you know, almost like shooting raw footage of something and, and throwing yeah. it out there into the world. But um, what I do find, like, you know, when I, I don't go back and change older work. 
but in that case, I, I saw it as just like the, the last editing stage. But uh, I do find that everything, uh, everything I make, like I don't really know what it is until it's finished or almost finished. Then I look back at it and, um, and you see, and I think this is a healthy way to work. Like if, you, if you're not, everyone will, people teaching writing or talking about writing will often talk about um, the theme of your story. Like what's the theme of your story? And um, I think it's better to not know until mm. you're well into it or, or even looking back at it. I think that's where you, I think your job is to spill your guts out onto the page and get, you know, get down whatever feels important or pressing to express. And then um, only after the fact, like almost like you're in therapy, do you go back and read it and discover what, like what, um, what makes you tick? Like, what did I have to say? Like, I'm not sure what I was saying at the time, but I guess this is what I had to say. And um, in the case of Isola, in, in like with um, the, the second chapter, we reread it and realized that we were really telling a story about mothers. And we didn't know that when we were making it, but, um, but having discovered that at the end, uh, um, prior to the trade coming out, we thought like, oh, well, now that we know that we need to, we need to kind of wrap this up in a, in a way that's more relevant. Like now we know what the theme is. So mm. now we can more successfully tie it up. And everything I ever do is like that. The Obama Trotskis was like that. Basically everything is like that. I'd rather not know until the end what I, what I really had to say. And then I can kind of, you know, put a, put a capstone on it. Hmm. That's interesting. No, that's, that's kind of fascinating. I feel like flying without that safety net in some ways would be frightening for creators. Like, like without the, the end game or the, the sense of like, well, I know this is what I'm doing and everything has to tie into that, you know, like it's very, um, letting the creativity drive, letting the pure emotion of that drive where the story's going and then sort of even yourself finding out after the fact is is fascinating to me that like yeah. you could well you i could think doing the, the doing the abominable strip is what gave me the courage to do that like i don't think mm. i could have ever done that before but because i was doing a weekly thing and i didn't know it was going anywhere <clears throat> it had to be very off the cuff and then i started then i just started trusting that process like because it is scary you're right like like it's there's always the thought in your head that that it's it's not going to work you know it's like a it's a tightrope act that is not going to work and um and sometimes it doesn't and you just have to fix it but um but usually uh i discovered through abominable um like is that even when if if you might not know what kind of sense it makes or it might not make any sense to you at the time but but ultimately i think you're I think your mind knows what it's doing subconsciously. And I think you're expressing things that you need to express. And um, you just have to have faith in that process. I have to have faith in the fact that like, you don't know as well as, uh, as uh, your, your mind or your subconscious does what, mm. what the right thing to do is. So just kind of go with it. I guess yeah. maybe that's different. If you're working with a lot of other people, maybe that changes, but, but generally I'm working alone or with Brendan, who's just like a second half of my brain. So that's, yeah. you know, that that's how I've been proceeding. And I like it. I, I, I much prefer it. I've tried working formally. I spent like quite a long time trying to like, um, like think through uh, 
like some some other stories and structure them very specifically and write them very formally but i can't do it i, I get bogged down in the process and it becomes uninteresting to me and um and, and i think it stifles it like i just think it becomes a you start following patterns and structures that are very uh very obvious and very boring so i think it's it's more fun to just have at it and see what you end up with that's interesting that's interesting what what is the status of isola given brennan fletcher's uh, health scares with COVID? I, i've seen some news recently that hopefully he is uh on the road to recovery um but are there are there any plans with isola or is that still something to be uh to be determined it's uh well our plan is to finish it um but yeah brennan's uh, well he's doing much better his um i think he's uh good he's uh He's over pretty much all of the COVID symptoms. But then he he and Michelle, uh, Asarazakorn, our colorist, um, both just had babies. So <laughs> we're, uh, okay, we're yep. not in a position to do anything. And um, frankly, I was kind of okay with that. Like I, 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 people, I get a lot of questions about when it's coming back. It's I've, I've, I've drawn a bunch of pages of the third chapter. Not not a ton of them, but enough that like we're, we're into, uh, I guess, what would be issue 11. Um, Brendan and I spent a bunch of time laying out the story for that whole chapter. So that's ready to go. And, um, I'm, it's actually been good for me to, to have a bit of a break from like we released volume two and then the pandemic hit and, um, it kind of gave me some, um, headspace to, uh, to be creative in other areas. So whether it was like, um, building the website or working on the death transit tanager comic, it was just nice to do something a little bit different and, um, and, and solitary. Like it was kind of nice to just work on something by myself for a while. So, Mm. um, yeah, I have every uh, intention of going back and finishing Isola. I don't know when it'll come out. Um, we were talking about this year. That's obviously not going to happen. Um, so hopefully next year sometime we can start getting issues back on the shelves or a trader. I don't know. We haven't actually haven't spoken about how to release it. Like it's been long enough that, well, it's been long enough, and it's and so much has happened in um, in the market and the world that like I don't know what the best way to like is it, you know is it um, <clears throat> is it best to do another five or six issues of it and collect it, or is it best to just do a straight to trade paperback? Like we haven't talked to right. Image about that. We haven't really talked about it extensively between ourselves. So, um, but everything's changing, and you know I think there's a lot of a lot of possibility there. Yeah, no, it's an interesting road, I, I think, for a lot of readers. Um, I'm definitely, it, it's a larger conversation, but I'm increasingly of the mindset with certain stories like that where I I do so inevitably just like reading them in trade, you know, and, and as the full set of stories where, I don't know, I'm, I'm definitely having a, a personal sort of crisis of conscience regarding single issues where it's like, what am I doing here? Like, why am I, why am I collecting these things when it's not the best way to actually consume the story, you know, but it's just yeah. such a habit with comics sometimes. But, it, you know, Many, some many things readers. are like some things are very much are very satisfying as issues. I mean, with their if they're written to be, you know, a yeah. self-contained issue story. Um, yeah, some things are not like we try to try to walk a line like Isola is so I don't want to call it super decompressed. I mean, it is. But at the same time, I think that there's like a fair amount of story. It's not I wouldn't call it decompressed so much as quiet. Like, it, there's yeah. just not a ton of dialogue in it. Like, I think there's a satisfying story chunk in every issue. But, um, you know, one of the characters is a tiger who doesn't speak. And there's just not a lot of dialogue in the book. But I think a lot actually happens. 
Um, I don't know. I like the object of the issues. I like doing covers yeah. for the issues. I think they feel nice. It's fun to go and I don't know. I like issues of comics, but um, yes, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think it could still be both. Sure, sure. Well, and that's kind of to your earlier point too, in terms of this can be a free web comic, and also it can be a free trade. It's like this can be issues, and also it can be a it can be all of these things and find. That, that's audiences. the other thing. Is if is if it was if it was just up to me, like Isola would just be a free web comic, and then yeah. Yeah. And then a comic on the shelves. But again, right. to me, there's no reason that we're not just putting that up. In fact, one of the things I, I like about the, the, the webcomic model is that it motivates me to, to produce a thing on a schedule. You know, not that like monthly, monthly comics does also, but like when you're in this sort of period between chapters and like you could kind of spend all the time in the world taking a break, like it's, it just feels less pressing than it would if it was like a, a web comic that people were expecting an update right. to, right? So, and that's—I mean—that's psychologically, that's just my own hang-up. But um, I guess all that to say, I—I I just wish that everything was a web comic. <laughs> Speaking of, you've yeah. recently released the first issue of Death Transit Tanager. You mentioned a couple times on CarlCrossel.com. People can check out that first issue for free right now. Um, I think subscribers can check out like the second issue, kind of the process as you're working on it. Uh, what can you tell us about that story and kind of why that was the next evolution for you? Because it's very different than um, you know Charles Christopher, for example. Yeah, way different. Well, well. So as as I was saying before, I had. I had been working on another story that I was that I spent a long time trying to quote unquote write like a proper writer. You know, it's just yeah. like I, I've got books full of notes. I've got like uh, several like drafts of synopses and uh, and like even like a bunch of script pages I kept going over and restarting. And then uh, I, you know, like while working on Easel, basically my spare time, I was kind of concocting this other story and thinking a lot about it. And um and it was not Death Transit Hanager. It was, it was a whole other thing. Mm. Um, but, you know, I, I, had, I was banging my head against the wall with it so much that uh, and just like was stopping and restarting and restarting constantly. One night I went to bed and I was, uh, I was just so frustrated with it. And I thought I need to step away from it and do something that, that's achievable, like just short and achievable and it's simple. And... Um, and then I, I had the idea for um, this comic, uh, and it was only intended to be like maybe a dozen pages. And so I, I quickly wrote, I wrote it just in bed that night, just point form, just boom, 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 just here's what happens. And uh, and then I just started drawing it because I had time, because <laughs> we were couldn't go anywhere. So it was like the start of the pandemic. And uh, I had so much fun doing it that I expanded it to 20 pages. So it was now the length of an issue. and. Uh, and yeah, I love it. I, I just, uh, it, it's, it's, um, it's like a, I don't know, I guess you could call it science fiction. It, it's a space, it's set in space and mm -hmm. there's spaceships and people in spacesuits and things like that, but uh, not much science. And it, it's basically about a, like a woman who, um, who can, uh, um, she's a, uh, basically like, uh, she's like, uh, she can speak to dead people basically is the gist of it. So, uh, so she's sort of like a, like an unwilling ferryman who like uh, has yeah. to has to get, get these uh, um, unhappy souls back to their bodies so they can move on to the afterlife. But you don't really know that until the end of the first issue. It's just set up for 
what what she's all about. And then the, the issue I'm working on now gets more into sort of the nuts and bolts of her job because it's like because it turns out ferrying uh, you know ferrying these souls back to their bodies and moving them onto the afterlife is like is like a, um, you know like a civil servant kind of job like like only a few people can do it or have that gift it's all women who who, are, who have that sensitivity and she sort of grudgingly um, had this ability and it's basically just her job to do this so it's kind of it's yeah. kind of like she's kind of like a mailman who doesn't want to be there but it's, it's uh, helping these people um, find their way back to uh, find their way to the afterlife so yeah the, the second issue is um, there's always like a lot of like kind of like um, you know like lasers and action and monsters and stuff in it but it, I kind of liken it to it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a, a Hellboy story it's kind of like mm. Metroid meets Hellboy is how I... I was, I was definitely getting those Metroid vibes, yeah, from, from the design and the, the style of it, um, which is very fun. Yeah, it's, it's a really good first issue. I dug it a lot. Again, people can check it out on the website right now. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing more from that. I think that'll be a, a fun one to continue with. Um, do you have a sense of, like, how long you want to run with it? Or is it sort of just, as you know, it's, again, like, you'll follow, follow the muse, and as it's interesting to you, you'll do it, and we'll see. Yeah, I think so. Well, I'd, I'd like to do the second issue is another 20 page issue. Um, and I think once that's done, I'll probably uh, I'll probably do a Kickstarter for that so uh, I can get some print versions of it. And then we'll yeah. see how that does. And if people like it, I, I'd like to do more. Um, right now, it's really just it's just really about choosing how to spend my time. You know, like it's just become harder to like I have to say no to a lot of stuff. Otherwise, I won't do any of the things that I want to do. Yeah. Like it's, it's transitioning to this sort of like completely creator own space is, um, is exciting, but it, it also makes it like, it's, it's, it's difficult because, um, it sort of shuts you out. You have to shut yourself out of a lot of, um, other, I don't, not, not paying work, but work for higher stuff. So like, there's a lot of fun stuff like I could do that. I just don't, if I do it, it's just going to eat up you know, like another year of my life. And it's like, I'm just gonna, I don't want to go to my deathbed regretting that I had all these stories I didn't tell because I, you know, because I decided to draw Spider-Man for a year or something, you know, like it's, sure. I feel like I've done enough of that stuff to satisfy the younger me. And now I just have to focus on producing stuff that, um, that's, that's my own. I, I take like one exception is I, like right now I'm doing this, uh, a few short, like a short Batman story. Um, but that's like, you know, it's a limited thing. It's basically three, eight page, it's a, it's a eight page, um, uh, segments in the back of the Batman, uh, this is Batman the title. the Gotham Academy, uh, storyline. Yeah. Well, sort of, it's, um, yeah, it's like, it's, um, it's a story about Batman and, um, Maps Mizuguchi is from, is from Gotham Academy mm -hmm. as a kind of like a Robin figure in this. So it's like 24 pages eight pages across three issues and um, I'm writing and drawing that and that's really fun I mean like it's a, that's a hard thing to say no to <laughs> you know like a, like doing more Gotham Academy is always a treat and uh, and also um, writing a Batman thing writing and drawing a Batman thing is something I can't really I don't think I could <laughs> deny <laughs> deny myself so that's been a blast it's still like I'm, I'm halfway through that and it's really fun yeah no, that's awesome that's awesome 
Um, cool. What what else is is coming next for you? Uh, what else do you have in the pipeline? No, that that's a lot. About? I think that's. <laughs> I know that was a fair amount. Yeah, that's more than I've got time for. So that's that's yeah. I've got uh, the web comic, two web comics, Isola, this Batman thing. Um, what else? Various covers and stuff. And I don't know. Like it's uh yeah. I think that's it's funny when I when I talk to creators, you know, a lot of times I'll, I'll ask that question and they'll they'll have things that they can or can't talk about. But in your case, it's like, well, it's all on your website. <laughs> like, like yeah. generally everything you're working on is is listed yeah. there. Like so I can't show no you surprises. the Batman stuff, but other than that, like it's all it's all right there. Yeah, yeah, cool. All right, well, people should check out carlcrystal.com to see uh, everything we're talking about if you haven't already. Um, and you know, we'll include links here in the show notes and all that fun stuff. Uh, anything else that you want to recommend or plug where people should find you or, or check out your work or anything? Uh, well, I, I will say like, uh, my studio is, um, I share a studio with, uh, Andy Belanger and Carrie Nord, both mm-hmm. of whom are, uh, sort of, uh, sort of, uh, sort of at studio branded as like lethal comics. So if you go to lethalcomics.com, there's like all the, all the current stuff we're doing. Uh, Carrie Nord just, uh, who's amazing. I don't know if you know Carrie's work from mm-hmm. Conan and stuff uh, and his paintings, but uh, he just uh, ended his Kickstarter for a new fantasy book that he's writing and drawing. And he's doing a really cool, um, uh, he's a wrestler and he's doing a really cool space wrestling story called Mother Trucker, which is awesome. Um, and oh, okay. uh, I would encourage you to check that stuff out. It's all really fun and it's all in the same uh, vein as what I'm, what I'm doing at, in terms of, um, you know, just uh, doubling down on creator-owned stuff and, and uh, indulging, indulging in our uh, in our own worlds and uh, voices. Excellent, excellent. Well, it's leading to good stuff. So I'm looking forward to more. Carl, thanks so much for taking the time to talk. Uh, this was a pleasure, and uh, and we'll be sure to check out the work here in the future. Yeah, my pleasure, Dave. Thank you very much.